Good afternoon. Well, welcome to our annual RSVA annual awards banquet. No, hopefully everybody enjoys their salad and the main entree will be out shortly. Then we'll have our awards presentation, then we'll have a, a, a program, then we'll probably con uh, try to conduct uh, some of our business meeting. Uh, we, uh, we have to, we're part of the entrepreneurship program this afternoon, so we, you know, Artis and I and a couple others probably have to leave, but we'll conduct as much business as we can until that point. Enjoy. I'll introduce you here quick. Okay. Good, good afternoon again. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed their the meal. Um, as I guess I can really say the carrot cake really topped it off. That made my day. Dan didn't get to, our speaker didn't get a chance to finish his. So by the time he gets done, it's probably will be finished for him. Because <laughs> I know the way back to that table. <laughs> but it is. It is with uh, great honor, privilege and an honor that I'd like to introduce a fine gentleman to you. You know, he's got a, a lifelong history in the business world and, and with ACB, leadership position with ACB and ACB. And uh, a big road ahead he is about to climb onto as of uh, end of this week. I'm confident that's going to happen. So with that, I'd like to introduce you to Dan Spoon. And as you notice, all all nice guys are named Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And let's see where to. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you, Dan Sipple, and my friend Dan Dillon will agree with that. Any comment? Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Hold on. Our artist is going to give out a start code. And how long do you want yeah. me to talk? We're, we're just finding the code for the continuing education credit. Okay, the start code. Um, do you want to sure, I can, I can repeat it, yeah. Okay, eight. All right, the number eight. Eight, um, D, three, one, four. Okay. So again, that's eight, D, three, one, four is the start code for CE credit. Did everybody who needs that get it? Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Artis. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, <clears throat> uh, this afternoon and, and enjoy some uh, lunch with you all. I, I was getting kind of hungry up there on the podium, so it was really nice to come have a really very nice hearty meal. So thank you very much for that. Leslie uh, and I really appreciate it. Uh, Artis, when she called me, asked me to just... Uh, don't get all policy wonky and all that kind of stuff. She, she said, I, we would just like to hear a little bit more about you, your kind of your life journey and those type of things. So if it's okay with you, I'll kind of share my personal story and, uh, and, uh, and maybe some relationships with RSVA along the way. Is, is that okay with everybody? Okay. All right. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I won't take you back. So, but, 
too far, but I was born in 1956 in Athens, Tennessee. So I tell people I was born in Athens, and they're very impressed until I tell them it was Tennessee. <laughs> and that was uh, because Etowah was not big enough city to have a hospital. So that's how I ended up being born in Athens. But my, my family had, uh, my, my mom and dad, I was the first child, they had honeymooned in Daytona Beach, Florida, and very quickly wanted to... Uh, uh, they, they fell in love with Florida, and so my dad was a high school football coach, and he was on his way from an interview in Jacksonville, Florida, to go to Tampa, Florida. Back then in the 1950s, Florida wasn't that large of a state. He stopped in Orlando for lunch, called one of the two high schools that Orlando had at that time, and asked about uh, a teaching position and a coaching position and this was over Easter vacation, and the principal happened to be in the office. Turned out he put himself through college selling Bibles in Etowah, Tennessee, and offered my dad a coaching position. So that's how our family got moved from, uh, from Tennessee to Orlando. And, and I grew up the, uh, you know, the son of a football coach, and, the, and, the, um, and, uh, and a, my mom was a, a business teacher, a high school business teacher. So I grew up in an education family. And in the, when at the age of six, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosis. So for any of you all that are, know about RP, so you know, at that point in time, my vision was pretty good. Uh, but uh, you know, the diagnosis was there. And sure enough, as I went through my life journey, by the time I was 10 or 11, uh, you know, I was on a little league baseball team and all of a sudden they would hit the ball in the sky in the outfield and I couldn't see it and it was landing at my feet and that kind of ended my, bas my baseball career and, uh, you know, life kind of moved on. So one thing you learn as, a, uh, as someone with retinitis pigmentosis is that your, your life is always changing and, uh, and if you think of it as a, a journey and a chance for growth and a chance for opportunity, it's not so bad. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's the, that's the life I've, uh, I've been given, and, and uh, I've, I've enjoyed it very much. So, so over time, uh, you know, my vision continued to get worse, and I ended up going to the University of Florida, getting an, an undergraduate degree in finance, and then a master's of business administration uh, in accounting. So I was feeling pretty good. I'd done real well. I had an MBA. While I was going to college, I had the opportunity to work at Walt Disney World in the character department. So th this always sounds funny when you ask, when people ask you what your first job was and you say, well, I was goofy on Main Street. But <laughs> that was my first job. I was goofy on Main Street, Tigger, Brer Bear, all the characters that were six foot or taller. And being a character at Disney was uh, interesting because I had, I had some decent usable low, low vision at that point in time, but I had the light, it was really sensitive to light. So underneath my costumes, I would wear dark sunglasses with fog resistant spray on them. So in, you would sweat. I mean, it would be 130 degrees in those costumes, as you can imagine, in Orlando, Florida in the middle of the summer. And so, uh, we, you know, I, 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 would, uh, I, I was able to see well enough to, to not run into things too bad and all that. But, but then as a character, you're not allowed to speak. So, so now you can't see very well and you're not allowed to talk. So it's kind of a double whammy. 
<laughs> you know? And on top of that, all of these younger folks want you to sign their autograph books. So I can't even imagine what some of those signatures look like that I signed in autograph books while I was Brer Bear or Tigger or Goofy. But one of the really neat things is while I was working at Disney, we used to do what we called these four core uh, celebrations in front of Cinderella's castle. And they'd have all the different characters come out there and dance and do a little deal and then go out and meet the guests and my supervisor grabbed me I was in I was in uh, Brer Bear at that point in time and he said uh, we've got a special uh, event here you need to come back behind the wall and we've got a special VIP guest we want you to meet Brer Bear so I go behind the wall and this, this is telling you how old I'm at this is in the uh, this is in the late 70s and so sitting there is Jimmy Buffett his wife and his three-year-old daughter so Jimmy Buffett comes up to me and says, Br'er Bear, can my daughter have your autograph? And I'm thinking, how many times? I'm one to say, Jimmy Buffett, you know, I'm this huge Jimmy Buffett fan growing up in Florida. I want your autograph. But there I am giving Jimmy Buffett my Br'er Bear autograph, not even able to say hi in my costume. But that was kind of a unique memory, uh, you know, from my times as being a character at Disney. Um, but then went through my time at Disney, got my degree, my master's degree at the University of Florida. And at that point in time, I was feeling pretty good. You know, I, I, had, a, I had a really good grade point average, uh, had, had studied accounting, which was kind of the toughest road to take in business. And I'm ready to go for a job, you know. And so I started applying to all the, at that point, there were eight, big eight accounting firms. I don't know if you all remember that, but back then there were, there were eight big eight accounting firms, as they were called, the Arthur Andersons, the Price Waterhouses, those type of folks. So I interviewed and said, oh, man, I'm going to get a job. This is great. Crickets. Nobody gave me a second interview. And I'm like, uh-oh. And so finally, I had one of the recruiting vice presidents from Price Waterhouse in Orlando, Florida. He pulled me aside. This was 19, the fall of 1980. And he said, Dan, I have tried. I have gone. I have talked to our partners. But they are just not going to hire a visually impaired person to be an accountant. And I said, oh, you know, I spent my whole, you know, spent my career training for this. Uh, he said, Dan, you have to realize it was just two years ago that we hired our first woman. Now, we don't think about that now, right? But that's, that's where, where we were back in the late 1970s. And so uh, at that point in time, I was a little frustrated. You couldn't even take the CPA exam in accessible format back then. They didn't offer extra time. They didn't offer large print. They didn't offer readers. It just wasn't available, right? And so uh, I said, what do I do now? I've got a master's degree. I'm you know, working as a character out at Disney part-time. Is this going to be my future? Am I going to be the permanent uh, goofy on Main Street for the rest of my career? You know, not that I'd, I didn't enjoy it, but... <laughs> so... Uh, so at that point in time, I had a, uh, a high school uh, friend, and we'd, we'd uh, you know, always dreamed of going into business for ourselves. So in 1981, we saved up some money, and we opened up uh, an Italian restaurant. 
His name was Jerry Lingelbach. My name was Dan Spoon. You couldn't have just heard any more two Italian-sounding names, right? <laughs> so he spelled his name Jerry with a G, D with a, 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 a Dan with a D for me. And so we called it DG's, D-I-G-I, DG's Pizza. That just sounded a little more Italian to us. And we got into the pizza business. I had a, a college roommate whose family was owned two or three Italian restaurants in the Orlando area. And I would uh, go and sit at the restaurant for free every night, and I got them to teach us all of the recipes, how to make pizzas, subs, uh, you know, how to do all the ordering. And in uh, June of 1982, we opened up DG's Pizza. And you know how all entrepreneurs are when you get started. We paid ourselves $100 a week and we worked 75 hours, right? And we lived there. We lived in the restaurant, almost literally. I mean, <laughs> we, 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 shared a, we shared a small apartment and we just worked on the pizza place day and night. And over the next seven years, two years into it, we had saved up $20,000, so we opened up a second location, and he ran one location and I ran the other, uh, both in the, the outskirts of Orlando, Florida, and we built up a pretty good business. So by the time I was, you know, in my, my late 20s, turning 30, you know, we were making like $30,000 a year, which really wasn't bad money for the, for the 1980s. And, uh, and we were our own bosses, and we, we put in delivery service. My first delivery driver, his dad ran a Mercedes-Benz repair shop. His mom made us three carrying cases out of an old quilt that she had, and we went into the delivery business, and the local newspaper was so taken back that DG's Pizzas was delivering pizzas in a Mercedes-Benz in, in quilted uh, warmers that we made the front page of the newspaper, DG's Delivers. And so we were really feeling well about ourselves. We had a whole wall of uh, VHS videos, and so you could pick up a, a movie and a pizza and order it, and we'd deliver it for you. And we were, we were next to a Cumberland farm, so we'd deliver milk and everything else for you along with pizza. So it was really a pretty good business, but then, the dreaded D word happened to us. Dominoes came into Florida. And very quickly, they cut the prices to less than half of what we were delivering pizzas for. They took out full page ads in the phone book and all that. And, and our business looked like it was suffering. And our six year lease was up and the landlord uh, decided to double our rent. So at that point in time, I reassessed my life. I was 31 years old. And I went back and took a class at our community college called High Tech Training for the Disabled. They had been running the program for two or three years, but they had never let anybody that was blind or visually impaired in the program. It was only folks with mobility challenges or recovering from amputations or uh, health issues, those type of things, lupus and different things. But they finally let a blind student into the program and I got to be the guinea pig, the first one. And it was this really intense program that you could, I don't even know if you could do something like this now, but we went to class from nine to five, Monday through Friday for nine months, 
no pay, of course. You paid, uh, I was compensated and helped by the Division of Blind Services, but it costs $10,000 to enroll in the program. And at the end of the nine months, you were guaranteed a three-month unpaid internship. And so, but what was it? It was an opportunity. It was a chance to get your foot in the door. Uh, so I enrolled in that program. I went in and, and did the, the curriculum. It was, it was back in the old mainframe programming days. I don't know if any of you were ever mainframe programmers, but they taught us COBOL programming and JCL job control language and how to do business programming. And they had a business advisory council made up of all the big corporations in the Orlando area. So Disney, HBJ that owed SeaWorld, AT&T, Westinghouse, all of these large corporations had members on the business advisory council. And so I went and took that program. I did, I did the program during the day, and then I came back and ran my pizza place at night and on the weekends. And at that point in time, because I had to hire additional help to run the pizza restaurant, I was paying myself $75 a week. So that was not an exciting year, I got to tell you. <laughs> but, but, but we made it through it, okay. And at the end of the nine months, I got an unpaid internship to Westinghouse Electric in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was really an experience. And I went through my three-month uh, unpaid internship, started on July 4th, and finally on September 11th. Now, isn't that funny for an anniversary date, I mean, a day that now means a lot, but September 11th, 9-11 didn't mean a lot back in, in 1989. But I was hired as an entry-level programmer at Westinghouse. And that ended up being my career for really the next 25 years. As my vision continued to decline, you know, I went from, from the 4X magnifying glasses to the 10X magnifying glasses to the CCTVs to the JAWS. You know, I went through all the different transitions of accessible equipment as I worked through my career. But I was fortunate enough to have this experience of computers and of accounting. And in 1960, excuse me, 1996, Westinghouse decided to implement this new enterprise relationship software. They call it an ERP solution out of Germany called SAP. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of SAP. It's now used by basically all the Fortune 500 companies across the world, and it's how they do all of their accounting and inventory and purchasing and supply management, everything is done with SAP. And I happened to be at the crossroads at the right time and got the, the, the training curriculum through Westinghouse uh, to become an SAP expert. And then Siemens Energy, uh, a German company, bought, Westinghouse went out of business. Westinghouse decided they weren't going to be a competitor to GE anymore. They sold all their manufacturing businesses. They bought a whole bunch of radio and television stations, including CBS, renamed themselves CBS, and sold our power generation business unit. We made electron, you know, we made a big huge power plants for electricity. So we made gas turbines, steam turbines, generators. And I worked in the service division that once you sell these units, you now have to service them for the next 50 years. And so I supported their applications and then eventually in 
1997, I got hired as a manager in our business process re-engineering re department. And really for the next uh, 15, 16 years till I retired, I was first a project manager, then a second level manager, uh, and I uh, ran really large implementations of software and process improvements. So uh, had an opportunity to learn, get the whole PMI, Project Management Institute certification on how to be a project manager, and really had uh, you know, a really wonderful career uh, at that point in time through Siemens. And, and then at the same time uh, that all this was going on, I had my whole uh, Council of the Blind, as I call it, uh, Florida Council of the Blind, our Greater Orlando Council of the Blind, uh, uh, efforts going on as well. So I had the opportunity throughout the 90s and into 2000 to be our, I'll hold all kinds of different offices at our local chapter level. We have a very active chapter in Orlando. It has, uh, we have 100 and 116 members right now. So we have pretty good, uh, a pretty good organization and uh, try to be the voice of the blind and visually impaired folks in our greater Orlando community. And then I had the opportunity to kind of progress and to do different uh, uh, committee chair levels and then ultimately uh, held pretty much every office in the Florida Council of the Blind, membership secretary, second vice president, first vice president, and was really close to becoming, about ready to become the president of the Florida Council of the Blind uh, until kind of in a parallel path. And I have to digress a little bit because this is an artist's story, so I got, I got to share this with you guys a little bit. Our first convention with the American Council of the Blind, we didn't go to ACB, ACB came to us. So in 1998, ACB had a convention in Orlando, Florida. And Leslie and I had just been married for a year, and uh, we, met at a, um, we met on a cruise ship going down the Potomac River. So. Literally, we were at an RP convention, retinitis pigmentosis, uh, you know, what they now call the Foundation Finding Blindness Conference. And we got seated just by accident in a, uh, at a, on a dinner cruise down the Potomac River. And Leslie's sister, Anita, excused herself to go to the bathroom. And I said, oh, I'm going to slide over and say hi to this lady. She was, so, uh, she was so lovely, and we talked for a few minutes, and she said, do you like to dance? And I said, well, I'm not much of a dancer. And she said, well, they're playing the Macarena. I can teach you. So my first dance with Le Leslie was out on the dance floor and doing the Macarena on a cruise ship down the Potomac River. So after that, she lived in Las Vegas. I lived in Orlando. We did cross-country dating for about a year there, and then I asked her to marry her. And marry me, <laughs> and uh, she moved to Orlando, Florida, and we've been, uh, it'll be 22 years now we've been married, so, uh, and Leslie is the love of my life, and, uh, and it's funny how when you meet that right person and have that re right relationship, all, all facets of your life kind of take off for you, so at that point in time when I married Leslie was really when my career at work started taking off. I don't, you know, I, I, I like to think there's a really good, there's a reason for that, and it was the responsibility and guidance that I got from uh, Leslie, but that's when I kind of moved from being just a programmer to a manager and taking on more and more responsibility at work. Um, but artists, the artist story is, 
we were there in 1998, and we were all kind of just, you know, single and young at that time, artists, and uh, Kevin, and uh, Leslie's sister, Anita. And we went to this thing, uh, we, we came up with this idea in Orlando, we were going to have a singles mingle, you know, at ACB. So, so we invited everybody to come to this singles mingle, and the last event of the singles mingle was we decided we would take surgical gloves and we would blow them up like balloons and tie them off and then people would form couples and the woman would sit down on the surgical balloon on the lap of the guy. <laughs> and that would be a real good way for everybody to meet each other. So that's exactly what happened. And all the women started jumping on these balloons and pow! And it literally scared all the guide dog rooms, uh, guide dogs in the in the room, to death. You know, we had howling and barking, and it really, in hindsight, was not a very very well planned out event. But we were all young and crazy, and and, and so and so we met artists and Kevin and all at that point in time. And uh, it's great to see that they're together here as well, twenty something years later. So congratulations, artists and Kevin. <laughs> um, and then in 2009, the convention came back to Orlando, and Leslie and I and her sister Anita and her husband Dale all went again. And we really uh, looked at things differently then. You know, we were in our, we were in our late 40s. Uh, we were a little more mature at that point in time. And we uh, really attended all of the sessions. We we'd made the rookie ACB mistake. We bought about uh, maybe 25 tickets to different events. We were gonna go to everything. You know, we had a ticket for every hour of every day and quickly learned that we, we ended up taking about half of our tickets home with us because it was just way too much to do all at one time. But as part of that, we went to the auction on uh, Tuesday, it was Wednesday night at that point in time, and bid on a package in Nashville where you could go spend five days in Nashville, tour the Grand Ole Opry, do all these wonderful things. And it was hosted by uh, Dan and Brenda Dillon. And they invited us over to uh, their house for dinner one night. And she made the most wonderful chili with cheese on it and, uh, and a beautiful dessert and all that kind of stuff. And so we spent this wonderful night playing games and getting to know the Dillons. And they said, well, have you all ever thought of getting involved in American Council of the Blind in any of the committees? And I said, well, you know, nobody's really ever asked us much about that or anything, but Leslie and I said we'd be interested. Well, the next day we got a call and they asked Leslie if she would be on the auction committee. Dan asked if I would be on the resource development committee. And that was the beginning of kind of a wonderful journey uh, with inside of ACB. So. Over time, we've taken on kind of more and more responsibility and got involved in more committees. Uh, in 2012, I had the opportunity to get elected to the board of directors. And then here this last year in 2017, I ran for first vice president. So uh, that's been kind of my journey through, through the American Council of the Blind. And uh, it's, it's been a wonderful life to this point in time. I really... Uh, you know, look forward to the opportunity to getting to know all of you better. It's funny, we, we always talk about going to Sagebrush because it's in Vegas and Leslie grew up, her first job was working for 
uh, the golden nugget for Steve Wynn in Las Vegas. So back before there was a Mirage and a Bellagio, she actually moved over to the Mirage when they opened that. So that was how, you know, that many years ago she worked for the Golden Nugget. So she has very fond memories of the Nugget. And, but we go out there for Christmas every year, so it's always hard to kind of turn around and go right back out there again. But uh, we're going to do it this year. We, we, talked to our, we talked about it earlier, and we're, we're, we're hoping that maybe we could come out and see you guys at Sagebrush this year. But... With that said, I just want to say thank you so much. Thanks for allowing us to be here for lunch and uh, uh, look forward to uh, having uh, an opportunity to get to know everybody better. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent All right. story. All right. Uh, just you know, kind of keep in mind that Dan is the textbook example that dispels the myth you know, that figures lie and layers figure. Even though he's an accountant, he does not lie. And I, look, I really look forward to him being next president of ACB. Uh, thank, thank you, you, Dan. Thank you all. Thank you. And thanks for a wonderful lunch. Hey. Okay, uh, now we'll have uh, Herbert Redoux up here and uh, uh, announce our award winners. Uh, an artist has got to give our uh, code number for the uh, end this session. Okay, the ending code is 149D8. 149D8. Thanks. Thank you, artist. Thank you. Herbert? You want the portable or the stationary? I'm going to use the portable. Okay. I can hold it better. All right. I'm Herbert Rito, the awards chairman. And the awards this year, uh, all of the recipients are not here, so we're going to uh, present this at Sagebrush. But we just wanted to mention who the winners are. Uh, the Jennings Randolph Service Award goes to Rick, Rick Moran, Moran, the ACB radio. Uh, the... Um, The Don Cameron Advocate Award goes to Scott Egan. And the Vendor of the Year goes to Terry Shelton. So let's congratulate them at Sagebrush. Thank you, thank you, Herbert. As you all probably are aware, Rick uh, has been with us at Sagebrush for quite a few years already. Uh, broadcasting Sagebrush live for us. And he um, spends a lot of time with us and gives up a lot of time and his expertise for us. Uh, Scott Egan is from Minnesota, um, the chair of their elected committee up there and, and quite involved uh, in a firm believer in the Randolph Shepherd program. 
and Terry Shelton from Mississippi and uh, the chair of the elected committee there and a strong advocate uh, for our program that been so beneficial to all of us. With that, I think we'll close our um, awards luncheon and we'll start out with our uh, annual business meeting and see how far we get before I have to leave and, and um, enjoy, uh, join Doug Paul in uh, uh, the entrepreneurship uh, seminar that we have going this afternoon. So thank you all. And, uh, hope you're in lunch as well and you, you're welcome to stay for our uh, business session. Perhaps we could probably have a five or ten minute um, uh, restroom break. 1.42. Let's be back in here by 2 o'clock. <laughs>